Good morning. We're off to a great start. Um, yeah, as, uh, as was mentioned, this is fairly last minute, um, but it's a huge privilege for me. I've been able to speak here uh, several times over the last few years, uh, and also I have some deep history and connections with a lot of people that go here. So for me, uh, it feels very familiar to be able to come back, and I feel very, very blessed. Uh, just a little bit of background on me. Uh, my name is, like was said, Ben Pierce. I am a full-time missionary uh, of a missions organization called Steiger. Uh, this was something started by my parents many years ago. They felt called to reach uh, the punks and the anarchists of Amsterdam. And so they went there uh, in the late 70s, early 80s. That's where my brother and I were born. Uh, and from there, uh, this entire worldwide missions organization was started uh, that reaches and disciples the global youth culture. So that's a very fancy way of saying young people outside of the church. And that's a pretty large demographic, in case you haven't noticed. And so this is who God has called us to reach. We do so by establishing city teams all over the world. And so we have uh, city teams in 13 different urban centers who do ongoing evangelism and discipleship to the global youth culture. Uh, We are growing like crazy. God is blessing this ministry, uh, but the needs are pretty desperate. And so uh, it's just urgent that we continue to do more. Uh, So this is the missions organization I'm a part of. Um, in, the, in the few years that I've been able to teach here, I've actually kind of been working my way through a class that my brother and I usually teach in five consecutive weeks called Jesus in the Secular World. Uh, and so I've been kind of, you know, with long gaps, I've been going through that um, each time, and this is kind of the last of that class. Uh, so in case you've missed some of it or you're, it's been so long in between, you don't really understand the connection, uh, fortunately I, I have written a book on this topic Uh, It was a two-year process. I think when I was here last, I mentioned that it was close to being done. Uh, Well, it is, in fact, done now. It's called Jesus in the Secular World, Reaching a Culture in Crisis. Uh, I highly recommend you check that out if this is something that has resonated with you. Uh, The things that I've talked about have really touched your heart. Uh, This would be a chance to kind of get it in more sequence, uh, to go a little bit deeper with this this topic that I teach. Also, one thing I mentioned every time is if you want to connect with our voice on a more regular basis, our podcast, Provoke and Inspire, uh, this is something I'd highly recommend checking out. It comes out every single week. Uh, God gives us access to some amazing guests within the Christian world. Uh, Just last week, we talked to Brian Headwelch from Corn about his new documentary. Um, But the whole heart of it is how can followers of Jesus live faithfully and radically for him in secular culture? Um, So it's it's fun. It can be kind of goofy sometimes, but it gets very serious. Um, And so that's Provoke and Inspire. It's on anywhere that, uh, that podcasts are played. You can check that out. Also, we have our No Longer Music send-off show. It's something I reference a lot because it's one of the key ministries I'm involved in. Uh, It's this band that's been around for over 30 years. Uh, I've personally been involved for over 12 now, which is hard to believe. Uh, This band uses music and theater and special effects, combines them all uh, in a way that presents the gospel outside of the church. Uh, And it's a very, very powerful, creative uh, depiction of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, And before we hit the road every summer, we put this show on here in the States. We invite those of our our friends and family and those in churches to come see it, to meet the team from all over the world, and to send us off. Uh, And so I'd really recommend that you check that out. We've actually switched venues to a considerably smaller venue. Uh, And because of that, the seats are going to go really, really fast uh, and so we have tickets here that you can get, uh, or there's also a, a link, nolongermusic.eventbrite.com, where you can check that out. 
Uh, and then finally, of course, if you want to connect with us on a regular basis, you can sign up for our newsletter, and you can do that out in the lobby. Uh, one thing I want to do before I get started is, uh, in December, we had the chance to tour uh, Colombia. We did 10 shows in 10 days, uh, and it was honestly, in all my years of doing No Longer Music, it was the most incredible tour I've ever been on. I mean, I've never seen God move in more power. I've never seen more supernatural uh, displays of his power and people being healed at every show. Uh, and this church, it really feels like family to me, and you guys have supported what I do. Uh, and so I think it's only right that you celebrate in the incredible fruit uh, of the ministry that I'm involved in and, and really that you're involved in as well. So I just want to play this video and then get started. Colombia needs Jesus. Hundreds of thousands of immigrants have crossed into the border fleeing economic crisis in Venezuela. Tensions and violence continue to escalate between police and immigrants who are viewed by many as a danger and economic burden to the country. A heavy presence of cocaine continues to foster gang violence and drug addiction throughout many areas. Until 1991, the Roman Catholic Church was recognized as the state religion. Today, an ever-increasing majority view God and the church as legalistic traditions of the past. Still, many are desperately searching for hope. No Longer Music started as an outreach to punks in Amsterdam in the 80s. Since then, we have traveled all over the world and used music and theater to present the gospel outside of the church. 2018 ended with a 12-day, 10-show tour of Columbia, and the results were amazing. So we're about to start, uh, start our sound check here in Bogota and the government came to us and they, they said that they want to shut down everything because we don't have one paper. So we're trying to do our best and we need to pray about this. So Lord help us to do this. Maybe God will show his, he's real, because clearly my words aren't working. So I prayed, and, and he just started taking the bandage off. And he was just like moving his hand all around. He's like, ah, oh, my hand's better. And so I prayed for all these guys to receive Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> 
dos jóvenes venezolanos y me robaron el bolso con todas mis cosas. Tenía mi sueldo recién puesto en la cuenta de ayer. Finalmente tuve dinero aquí en el bolsillo de Milagro. Nos tocó, le dije al, al taxista que tenía solo 6 mil pesos para pagarle y dijo que no había problema, que nos iba a llevar hasta el lugar. Y realmente llegamos a la oración de fe. Ustedes fueron la respuesta a algo que yo estaba pidiendo en mi corazón. Cuando paso por acá, directo a una reunión más para mantenerme 24 horas más sin consumir alcohol y drogas. Toda la atracción de ver el, el evento y me muestran una vez más que es el amor de Jesucristo. Esta experiencia hoy, en esta experiencia hoy recibo a Jesucristo como el camino, la verdad y la vida. Esas palabras ya toman un sentido. Lo más impactante es que el show sea en la calle y no dentro de una iglesia. Y creo que son unos valientes por hacer eso, además. Not only were we able to share the gospel with over 11,000 people during our 10 shows, but God opened up a door for us to present who he is on one of the largest TV stations in all of Latin America, as well as on a major secular radio station. Our time in Colombia was unbelievable. Hundreds gave their lives to Jesus. People were physically healed every night, and God connected us with key influencers and gave us access to major secular platforms. Literally thousands of people heard the gospel during these 10 action-packed days. While we are overwhelmed by all that God did, it is clear that it's just the beginning. It's amazing what God will do through ordinary people. You know, it's easy to, to, I think, to watch something like that and, and to see it from a distance and to think, wow, that's great that God did that over there. I don't necessarily see how that relates, though maybe I'm inspired by it, but I'm convinced that God wants to do that here. He wants to do that through this church. He wants to do that in your lives. You know, and that's really the heartbeat of what I talk about every time I come here. It's, it's essentially the same message packaged in a different way, that God wants to use your life to reach the world. And as I kind of was meditating on what can I offer the church, what can I bring, this kind of pattern that I've been talking through, this, this, you know, the different steps that you can take, and really the things I outline in this book are all based on the life of Nehemiah, uh, this incredible narrative in the Old Testament, which I'm sure you're familiar with, but let me just remind you, Nehemiah was someone who had a great job, right? He had this royal position and all of the luxuries that would have come with it. He was, a, you know, he had security, he had 
I'm sure he was wealthy. I'm sure everything was good for him relatively to other people, especially to the people that he was a part of, to the Jews. Life was good for Nehemiah, but then he's confronted by a need. He's reminded that his people, the Jews, Jerusalem, the walls, it's in ruins. And this breaks his heart. And maybe this describes you and me, that, that the world around us maybe is falling apart, but for us, things are going relatively well, and we can become sort of insulated. We don't realize anymore. And then we're confronted by a need like Nehemiah was, and, and this breaks his heart. It breaks his heart, and his response is to spend months fasting and praying. And that was the first message that I ever brought here, was that if we're going to make a difference— If this church is going to make a difference, it's not going to be because you get a new building. It's not going to be because you come up with a great strategy. And this church is awesome. You guys are doing amazing things. But that is not why God is moving here. Every major move of God starts with men and women who get desperate in prayer. When God begins to move through the prayers of those in the church, that is how it happens. The next thing I talked about is having a broken heart. Because like Nehemiah, this wasn't an academic concern. He didn't see the world or read an article and go, wow, that's really terrible. I better go do something about it. It wasn't a religious obligation. Nehemiah was deeply moved by his, the trouble of his people. And we need that kind of anguish. We need, some, we need a, really, a real broken heart for the lost. And I talked about how we need to have the heart of the good shepherd. But it doesn't end there because then what does Nehemiah do? He takes a huge risk. Nehemiah takes a huge risk. Remember, he had it made. But he then feels compelled that he needs to go to the king and ask for the resources and for the time to go rebuild the wall. This was a crazy idea. This made absolutely no sense. I mean, kings in those days, if you even seemed upset in their presence, you could be killed But to go to his boss and say, I want time and money to go build a foreign nation, a competing nation, this made absolutely no sense. And this is what Nehemiah did. He literally risked everything. You see, Nehemiah ultimately needed courage. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. You can have a broken heart. You can cry You can respond in desperate prayer, but if you do not have courage to act, if you do not take a risk to act, you will accomplish nothing. Nehemiah had to take a risk. Ultimately, all of the talk, all of the prayer had to result in an act, in a risk. So what is courage? We better understand it because I think it's critical in the life of a follower of Jesus that wants to make a difference in this world. Well, courage is certainly not what Hollywood depicts it as. It's not some thing that comes on you or this quality that you just possess and you run into danger with no regard for your life, and it's just this adventurous, reckless thing. That is not what courage is. Courage is always based on something. It's always based on something. So I have courage in a fight because I believe that I have superior strength to my opponent, and I can, I can win the fight, or I have courage to speak in front of you this morning because I believe in my communicating abilities or the message that I'm saying. Courage is always based on something. In my previous talk on prayer, I referenced Hebrews 11.6. And I think it has significance in this context as well. It says this, anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him with an earnest heart. We typically blow past the beginning and focus on the second half, but we must believe that he exists. 
Courage is based on understanding or believing that God exists and then acting on that. It doesn't mean anything until we act on it. Our faith without risk is dead. There's an illustration from my childhood that I think really sums this up well. We grew up in Amsterdam, my brother and I. We lived on kind of a crazy street, third floor of of an apartment building. And one particular day, there was a fight happening on the street below. Two groups of guys were fighting, two gangs were fighting on the streets. And uh, all of a sudden, one police officer shows up. He shows up on the scene. And the crazy thing is, without hesitation, he runs straight at this group of fighting guys. And they recognize him. They immediately see this one single police officer, and they just collectively start running away down the road. And it was this bizarre scene, one single police officer and a whole group of guys running furiously in the opposite direction. You know, eventually this police officer, he kind of stopped and he recognized what he was doing and he kind of backed up, probably realized how crazy this was. But what this illustrates is that this police officer so believed in what he represented. He so believed in this uniform and the police force that he was willing on that authority to run right into the middle of that danger. See, in the same way, this is what it means to have courage. This is what it means to believe that God exists, that you so believe in him. You so believe in the authority that he has, the power that he has, that you're willing to risk everything for him. Courage is not a feeling. It's not some emotion. It's not something that comes over you or on you. Like anything of value in life. If you waited until you felt like doing it, would you ever do it? I never feel like working out. I never feel like serving my family. I never feel like getting up at 5.30 and seeking God. I never feel like giving my money to to things that God is asking me to. I never feel like opening my mouth and telling someone about Jesus. If I would wait until I felt like doing these things, I would never do it. Courage is not a feeling. It's not the absence of fear. You know, a lot of people think courage is the absence of fear, but what courage is, is pushing through, stepping through the fear. Saying, I am afraid. I don't feel like doing this, but I'm going to do it. Even the dictionary seems to understand this. The courage, the definition of courage in the dictionary is doing something that frightens you. It's interesting because I feel like we so often don't view courage that way doing something that frightens you. We just think that those that are courageous, they feel no fear. Good friend of mine, his name's Chad, and uh, he he felt a long time ago that he should take a thousand risks, that every time the Holy Spirit prompted him to take a risk, he wanted to do a thousand of these risks and document every one of them. And he did. It took him about three years, and he would see amazing things happen, people being healed, people coming to Jesus. I'm talking about the guy, you know, that's driving him, the, the waitress, everyone that he would encounter, whenever he felt led, he would take that risk. And he says that the number one thing that people assume about him is that he has no fear. Oh, you're just crazy, Chad. You don't care. It's easy for you. You're just, you know, you don't care about looking stupid. You just go and do it. He says he constantly wrestles with fear, but he chose, he decided to step through that fear. Several years ago, I was, I was leading a local Bible study, and a lot of the outreach that I'm involved in is very platform-based. You know, it's like on a stage, or I'll be at a club, or I'll be, like you'll see in those videos, preaching the gospel in that setting. Um, But I really felt like the Lord was saying to me that he wanted 
me to engage in some more just organic street outreach. You know, no big show, no big elaborate event, just telling people about Jesus. And by personality, this is a real struggle for me, but I knew that God was saying this, and I, I brought this to our guys. I said, what do you think? And they all agreed we should do this. And it was near Halloween, and so we thought, okay, we'll dress up one of our guys like the angel in our No Longer Music show. So we put him in big stilts and put a big mask, this LED mask on his face and a sign around his neck that said, do you believe in ghosts? And then we were going to just go to the U of M campus and, and use that as a conversation starter. And I remember as the time got closer, I just felt like this is so stupid. This is a bad idea. No one's going to talk to us. It's cold. I was afraid. I didn't feel like doing this. And I remember the day arrived and it was snowing. And I thought, yes, this is my out. And I called Steve. He's around here somewhere. And I said, Steve, it's snowing. And he said, I know. And I said, this is our out. I didn't say it like that. I said, we really, you know, no one's going to be out. It's snowing. We tried, right? God knows we tried, but the weather just isn't cooperating. And he said, you're right. And I hung up the phone and I looked out of the window and it immediately stopped snowing. <laughs> I thought, dang it. Um, so I called up Steve and I said, dude, we got to go. And he goes, I know. So we got in our cars and we drove down and I was just like, this is going to be dumb. No one's going to be there. And I thought, whatever. I'm just, God, I don't care if I just look dumb. If we just go and walk around and no one wants to talk to us, that's fine. And we parked and we got to one spot. And for two hours in the freezing cold, we had people lining up to talk to us. Literally waiting in line to talk to us. We had one conversation of an- after another about Jesus, about life. It was incredible. It was incredible how effortless it was, how open people were. But I did not feel like it. I did not want to do it. And I have so many stories like that. But the good news is being afraid does not disqualify you. Again, we so think of people, our heroes, like people who have no fear. But even Paul had fear. 1 Corinthians 2, 3 through 5, I came to you in weakness and with great fear and much trembling. Paul, the greatest hero of our faith, the missionary, the greatest missionary that's probably ever lived, said he was so afraid he would tremble. When's the last time you were so afraid you physically trembled? Fear is not a disqualification, but ultimately real courage means taking risks. It means taking risks Studies show, and these are secular studies, studies show that the number one regret of people when they get older, before they die, they say that they wish they had taken more risks, that they played it too safe, too conservatively. Real faith requires risk, and without risk, your faith is dead. Because what good is it to say that I believe in God, I'm just not willing to put myself in positions that ever require him? We want to see a difference in our families, in our lives, in this city. It's going to take some risk, and that's going to take some courage. Biggest lie you'll hear, the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. That's nonsense. What Bible are you reading? That sounds good on a coffee cup, but it's not the safest place to be. It's not. I mean, the early church, the disciples, Paul, Jesus himself, they were not safe. Many of them died horrible deaths. It's the best place to be. It's where you're alive. 
It's where your life makes a difference. It's what you were created for, but it is not the safest place to be. My calling has taken me and my wife to some pretty dangerous places. I remember one time we were on tour in Turkey. 80 million people, 5,000 believers. Think about that. Maybe we should go plant some churches over there. 80 million people, 5,000 believers. We are driving into a city called Manavgat. Over 200,000 people, no church. Not a single Christian church. We'd be on these long drives in a van that wasn't air-conditioned in the middle of the summer. We'd be delirious from the heat when we arrived. And I remember pulling into this one city, and our local organizer and our American missionary contact who'd been in Turkey for 30 years were both there, and they were looking very frightened. Little concerned. There's a big banner hanging across the stage. And we pull up and we said, what's wrong? And they said, well, the banner says, welcome to the Ramadan festival. Now, Ramadan is the Muslim holy month. And apparently they had invited an evangelistic American rock band to open the Muslim holy month in a Turkish town with no believers. It's a little unusual. So we asked our local partner, what do we do? And he said, I don't know. Maybe don't say the name Jesus. We asked our crazy American missionary who had been in jail 12 times. We called him, his name is Wild Willie Wilson. That's what we called him anyway. And uh, he said, I have no idea what to do. I've never been in a position like this. And uh, I remember walking with my brother and my dad and we were crying out to God asking what we should do. And I'm not trying to be dramatic, but it, it felt like a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego moment. Were we going to deny Jesus? It felt like God was saying, when are you ever going to be, who knows if you'll ever be back here. When are these people going to hear the truth? And so we said, okay, God, we won't deny you. And this show started, it was packed. The local TV was there, city officials, the mayor was there. I remember the last note of the last song rang out. And David, my dad, began to preach, shared very clearly who Jesus was. I remember bracing myself for the reaction, not knowing what would happen. Instead, everyone clapped, cheered. Over a hundred people signed up for a Bible correspondence course. The mayor gave us a bunch of flowers, which was weird and unprecedented. It was amazing. It was amazing. God did incredible things on that day and on that tour. Later, we went to northern Iraq. Saw God do amazing things there. These are not safe places to be. But I'm telling you, I've never felt more alive. I've never known more clearly that that was the place that God had created in advance for me to be, in that position, doing that thing. And you may be thinking, wow, this is so daunting. I have no idea how to relate to this. How does this apply to my own life? And yeah, this is kind of a crazy example. But just like my U of M example, or really in anything in life, this has far less to do with one major decision, one big Hollywood moment, and far more to do with a thousand little decisions that are before you every single day. God has a step of courage for you. And I'm telling you, it's about taking that next step. It's all about these little decisions, one after another, and you might eventually find yourself in front of your own Ramadan festival situation, but it's about doing the next thing in front of you, taking that risk, taking that step. And courage is like a muscle. The more you use it, the stronger it gets. But conversely, when you don't exercise your faith, when you don't take these steps, it atrophies. And you live a shell of the life that God has created you to live. 
So why do we risk everything? Why listen to me? Why bother? Why not just stay safe? Luke 17, 33 says, whoever seeks his, to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. Let me tell you something. We may be safe, but safety is an illusion. Security is an illusion. You can get all the airbags you want. You can get all the security systems you want. There ain't a person in this room who's safe when we leave, leave this building or even in this building. Security is such an illusion to think that we can hold on to our lives, to think that we can preserve our lives. You know, most of the evangelical world has rejected the prosperity doctrine, gospel, the idea that Jesus wants to make you happy, healthy, and rich. But if we're honest, many of us have just traded it for a more subtle version. We may not say it like that. We may not overtly state it that way, but we still function that way. Jesus, I come to church on Sundays and I give and I'm slightly better than other people, so you got to keep me safe. I don't, I don't want to go through any hard times. I don't want to put myself in any position of cost or sacrifice. We enter this subconscious contract with God that we'll do these things and he'll have hold up his end of the deal. But this is not why you're here. You were not made for self-preservation. You were not made to be slightly more moral than other people. You were made to change the world. And I believe that's the heartbeat of this church, that you want to make a difference but it's going to take courage. What risk is God asking you to take? Who's that person in your life that needs to know about Jesus that maybe you've lived by or worked near for years? This isn't about being condemning or making you feel guilty, but where do you need to take a risk? Where do you need to put yourself in a position where if God doesn't show up, you're in trouble? When is the last time you can remember being in a position like that? When's the last time you've said, God, I have no idea how this is going to work, but I'm going anyway. This isn't meant for a few people. This is the Christian life. This is what it means to follow Jesus and his example. So what step of courage is God asking you to take? The good news is you're not asked to do it alone. That's what makes this possible. This isn't about bravado. This isn't about recklessness. This is about love. You so love God. You so love the world that he loves. You so believe that he exists and that the consequences of not believing in him are real, that you're willing to do whatever it takes. That ultimately your fear of man is below your desire to be obedient to God. Second Chronicles 16.9, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the whole earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. We have a God that wants to strengthen you. Doesn't mean he's going to take all the fear away. Doesn't mean it's always going to be easy. But he wants to strengthen you. He wants to get behind you and use your life to reach this city, to not just be another church, because we don't need another church, honestly. This is what it means to follow Jesus Lord, I thank you for the hearts of everyone here. God, let this not be received as a condemning message. Let this not be received as guilt. Because it's not guilt. It's an invitation. It's an invitation, Jesus, to something bigger and better. 
than growing old, accumulating stuff, and dying. So Lord, let this be an inspiration, Lord. Let it be the Holy Spirit. If these words are not from you, let them fall away. But if they are, let people know that specific step that they are to take today. Tomorrow, Lord, when they get back to the office, to school, to their neighborhoods, show them, show me, Jesus, what risk I am supposed to take. That I might see your power in action in this world, not just within this building. Thank you that we are meant for this kind of life, and I pray that you would give us the ability to walk that out. In Jesus' name, amen.